following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. a man with a message. He preached in the 1800s. He was said to have brought more than 250,000 men and women into dedicated, fully committed salvation with Jesus Christ. Research done at a later time showed that more than 80% of those converted in Finney's revivals were still, years later, faithful servants of Jesus Christ. He was not a flash in the pan. The message he brought cut through the deadness of the modern church of that day and the secular society of that day. His message was sharp and pointed. He taught the certainty that sinners will be endlessly punished if they die in their sins. He taught that a man had to be made righteous, that if a man continued to walk in his sin, even though he claimed to know Jesus Christ, that man would spend eternity in hell. He presented the gospel in such a way that there was no doubt he was an attorney by training. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. 
and there was no compromise in his preaching. He taught that you must commit yourself unalterably to the power and presence of the Holy Spirit and to Jesus Christ. You could not walk with the world and walk with Jesus at the same time. He taught that you must pray for a new heart, that you would be trying to tempt God if you attempted to walk in your flesh in religion. And there was much religion in his day, even as there is in our day, but it was corrupt religion. So he endeavored to get sinners to renounce all sin, all excuse-making, all unbelief, all hardness of heart, and every wicked thing in their hearts and their lives. Right now, here, today is the day of salvation. Any of that sound familiar? That's what I preach. It's what John Wesley preached. It's what the early church fathers preached. I am not preaching something that is out of line with the historic Christian church. Those who preach that you can continue to walk in your sin and be saved, they are preaching something that is totally at odds with the historic Christian faith. They pretend they're the Orthodox Christians. They're not. Read carefully the book of Jude, and you'll find a very accurate description of today's cheap grace. Now, please, if I were to decide that I would like to come on the radio and I would like to teach about IT security. Well, I know nothing about IT security. I'm, in fact, I'm not a, by any stretch of the imagination, a techie. I hate computers. I put up with them. I put up with social media. I don't want to be, I, I don't want to be near it. I don't want to be near the telephone. I hate my telephone. It's like a nagging wife that should be divorced. Please, I just, but if I'm going to teach you about IT security, I'm going to have to study long and carefully. There's much to learn. If I'm going to come and teach you about the Constitution of the United States, I'm going to have to very carefully study. In fact, if I'm going to teach you about history, if I'm going to teach you about ethics, if I'm going to teach you in any field, I'm going to have to do a great deal of in-depth study or I won't know what I'm talking about. Well, the difference is in every area of gospel teaching, in every area of gospel teaching, you're going to have to do extensive study on your own because God does not have any grandkids and you are directly responsible before God for what you know about the gospel. And so I come teaching the gospel of Jesus. But if you don't listen to these messages more than once, if you don't go back and review, if you don't take notes, if you don't study the scriptures, if you don't focus your energy and your time on understanding the gospel, you will not be saved. You will be lost. I'm very concerned for you because of that. I'm concerned that you are spiritually lazy. Now, we're having a tremendous storm with hail falling, and we may lose electricity. If we do, I apologize, and I'll come back 
and I'll teach this the next time I'm on air. I'm broadcasting from my home studio in the midst of this fierce storm. So pray that Jesus will allow us to complete our broadcast. Now, I've taken this precious time to say these things to you because I'm going to share with you something I have shared with you before. I have shared a number of times the conversion story of Charles Finney. But please, this time, I want you to be very conscious that I'm not sharing this story with you to catch your interest. I'm not sharing this story with you as entertainment. I'm sharing this story with you so that you can see and understand <coughs> pardon me, what God did in one man's life to know that God can and is willing to do this in your life. And without it, you will be ineffective in the work of the gospel. I want you to understand this. <coughs> And so I'm going to share. One Sunday night in the autumn of 1821, Charles Finney made up his mind that he would settle the question of his soul's salvation. And he decided that if it were possible, he wanted to make peace with God. Now something happened yesterday that's very fascinating to me. There was a business meeting in a mall in the Washington area between a Chinese Buddhist man and a Christian man. And as they sat down and began to talk together about the business, the Christian faith came up. And this businessman began to share with the other businessman the gospel of Jesus. that Chinese businessman understood what was being said and made a commitment and accepted Jesus Christ and began to understand the process of becoming a real Christian. And when the meeting was over, he celebrated his new standing with Jesus Christ. He promptly texted his wife saying, I have become a Christian. And she texts back, Can I come become a Christian too? So she came to the mall and she too became a Christian yesterday. This is the Holy Spirit's work. Convicting of sin, softening the heart, turning a man away from wickedness, Wiping away the sin of the past. Now, Charles Finney is saying, I made a decision. I wanted to make peace with God. Many of you have had religion for many years, but you have never made your peace with Jesus. Sometimes it's easier for a Buddhist Chinese man to make peace with Jesus than it is with a a religious American. My dad used to call them hard nuts to crack. Hard nuts to crack. That is, those who were religious but not Christian. He said they will hide behind every possible stump and you have to spend great amounts of time trying to dig them out from behind one stump And then they run and jump behind another stump. He said, I've grown very tired of digging people out from behind their stumps. I have to tell you, his son feels the same way. Now, Finney resolved that as far as possible, he was going to avoid all business He was going to avoid everything that would divert any attention to worldly things, and he was going to give himself wholly to the work of securing the salvation of his soul. 
he carried this resolution into execution as sternly and thoroughly as he could. But he was very busy in the office. But then the province of God stepped in, cleared the deck so that on Monday and Tuesday, everything was canceled. He spent that time reading his Bible and praying. Charles Finney was very proud, as most men are. He had supposed that he did not care much about what others' opinions of him were. In fact, he'd been quite obvious in attending the prayer meetings and paying attention to religion while he was in Adams, New York. In this respect, I'd led the church at times to think that I was anxiously inquiring into the faith. But when I had to face the question, I found that I was very unwilling to have anyone know that I was seeking the salvation of my soul. When I prayed, I would only whisper my prayer, having plugged the keyhole in the door of the office, lest someone should discover that I was engaged in prayer. Now, before that time, my Bible had laid on my desk with the rest of my law books. It never occurred to me to be ashamed of being found reading it any more than I should be ashamed of being found reading any of my other books. But after I began to address myself in earnest to the subject of my own salvation, I kept my Bible out of sight as much as possible. If I were reading it when anyone came in, I would throw my law books on top of it to create the impression that I had not had it in my hands. Instead of being outspoken and willing to talk with anyone and everyone on the subject as before, I found myself unwilling to converse with anyone about religion. I did not want to see my minister because I did not want him to let him know how I felt because I had no confidence that he would understand my case and give me any proper direction for becoming a Christian. For the same reasons, I avoided conversations with the elders of the church or any of the other Christian people I knew. I was ashamed to let them know how I felt on the one hand and on the other. I was afraid they would misdirect me. I felt myself left alone only to the Bible. During Monday and Tuesday, my convictions increased. But still it seemed as if my heart grew harder. I could not shed a tear. I could not pray. I had no opportunity to pray above a whisper, and frequently I felt that I would find relief in prayer if I could be alone, where I could use my voice and express myself. I was shy and avoided speaking to anybody on the subject as much as I could, and I made sure not to arouse any suspicion that I was seeking the salvation of my soul. Tuesday night I became very nervous, and in the night a strange feeling came over me as if I were about to die. I knew that if I did die I would sink down to hell, but I quieted myself as best I could until morning. At an early hour on Wednesday, I started for the office. But just before I arrived at the office, something seemed to confront me, as if an inner voice said to me, What are you waiting for? Did you not promise to give your heart to God? And what are you trying to do? Are you endeavoring to work out a righteousness of your own? At this point, the whole question of gospel salvation was open to me in the most marvelous manner i think i then saw as clearly as i ever have in my life the reality and the fullness of the atonement of jesus christ i saw that his work is a finished work and that instead of needing any righteousness of my own to recommend me to god i had to submit myself to the righteousness of god through christ Gospel salvation seemed to be an offer to be accepted, something that was full and complete. And all that was necessary on my part was to agree to give up my sins and accept Christ. Instead of being a thing to be 
brought about by my own works, salvation was a thing to be found entirely in the Lord Jesus Christ, who presented himself before me as my God and my Savior. Without being distinctly aware of it, I'd stopped in the street right where that inner voice had first come upon me. How long I remained in that position, I can't say. But after I'd contemplated this distinct revelation for a while, the inner voice seemed to ask, will you accept it now, today? I replied, yes, I will accept it today or I will die in the attempt. Now, north of the village of Adam, over a hill, lay a stretch of woods. I used to walk almost daily when the weather was pleasant. It was now the 10th of October, and the time was past for my frequent walks there. Nevertheless, instead of going to the office, I turned and bent my course toward the woods, feeling that I must be alone and away from all human ears and eyes, so that I could pour out my prayer to God." But still my pride showed itself. As I went over the hill, it occurred to me that someone might see me and suppose that I was going away to pray. Yet there was probably not a person on earth who would have suspected such a thing of me. But so great was my pride, and so much was I possessed with the fear of man, that I sulked along a fence post until I got so far out of sight that no one from the village could see me. I then made my way into the woods near a quarter of a mile, went over on the other side of the hill and found a place where some large trees had fallen across each other, leaving an open place between them. There I saw a kind of a closet. I crept into this place and knelt down for prayer. As I turned to go up into the woods... I recollect having said, I will give my heart to God, or I will never come down from there. I recall repeating this as I went up, I will give my heart to God before I ever come down again. But when I attempted to pray, I found that my heart would not pray. I had supposed that if I could only be where I could speak aloud without being overheard, I would pray freely. But when I tried it, I was mute. I had nothing to say to God, or at least I could only say a few words, and those without heart. In attempting to pray, I would hear a rustling in the leaves. I would stop. I'd look up to see if somebody was coming. I did this several times. Finally, I found myself sinking fast to despair I said to myself I can't pray my heart is dead to God and it will not pray I then reproached myself for having promised to give my heart to God before I left the woods when I tried I found I could not give my heart to God my soul hung back my heart was in no way going out to God I began to feel deeply that it was too late for me that I was past hope, that God must have given up on me. I then began to think my promise rash, that I would give my heart to God that day or die in the attempt. It seemed to me as if there were bindings upon my soul, and yet I was was going to break my vow. And a great discouragement came over me, and I felt almost too weak to get up from my knees and just at that moment I again thought I heard someone approaching I opened my I opened my eyes to see whether it were so but just then it was distinctly shown to me that my pride was the great difficulty that stood in the way an overwhelming sense of my wickedness in being ashamed to have a human being see me on my knees before God took such a powerful possession of me that I cried at the top of my voice and exclaimed that I would not leave that place at all if all the men on the earth and all the devils in hell surrounded me. What, I said, 
such a degraded sinner as I am, on my knees, confessing my sins to the great and holy God? How can I be ashamed to have any human being, a sinner like myself, find me on my knees, endeavoring to make my peace with my offended God? The sin appeared awful, infinite. It broke me down before the Lord. And just at that point, this passage of Scripture seemed to drop into my mind with a flood of light. Then you will pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Jeremiah 29, verses 12 and 13. Somehow I knew that this was a passage of Scripture, though I do not think I'd ever read it. I knew that it was God's word and God's voice that spoke to me. I instantly seized hold of this with my heart. I had intellectually believed the Bible before, but never had I known that faith was a voluntary trust instead of an intellectual state. I was conscious of trusting at that moment in God's veracity. I cried to him, Lord, I take you at your word. You know that I'm searching for you with all my heart and that I've come here to pray to you and you've promised to hear me. This seemed to confirm that I could indeed fulfill my vow that day. The Spirit seemed to emphasize this idea in the words, when you search for me with all your heart. I told the Lord that I would take him at his word that I knew he could not lie and that I was therefore sure that he heard my prayer and that I would find him. He then gave me many other promises from both the Old and the New Testaments, especially some regarding our Lord Jesus. I never can in words make any human being understand how precious and true these promises appeared to me. I took them one after the other as infallible truth the assertions of God who cannot lie. They did not seem to fall into my intellect as much as into my heart, to be put within the grasp of the voluntary powers of my mind. I took hold of them and fastened upon them with the grasp of a drowning man. I continued to pray in this way and to receive and take hold of the promises for a long time. Let me stop for a moment. You remember I've shared many times in Second Peter, it tells us the way we participate in the divine nature is through the promises of God. This is what Finney was experiencing. He was beginning to understand who God is by the divine promises. And thus he was able to enter into the divine nature. He says, I don't know how long I prayed until my mind became so full. Suddenly I was on my feet. I was stumbling up the hill toward the road. I didn't think about whether I had been converted. But as I went up, brushing through the leaves and bushes, I recall saying with great emphasis, If I am ever converted, I will preach the gospel. I soon reached the road that led to the village. I began to reflect on what had passed. I found that my mind had become wonderfully quiet and peaceful. I said to myself, What is this? I must have grieved the Holy Spirit entirely away. I've lost all my conviction of sin. I don't have a particle of concern about my soul. It must be that the Spirit has left me. Indeed, I never was so far from being concerned about my salvation in my life. Then I remembered what I'd said to God while I was on my knees, that I would take him at his word. And so I recalled many things that I'd said, and I concluded that it was no wonder the Spirit had left me. I imagined that for such a sinner as I was to take hold of God's word in that way was presumption, if not blasphemy. I considered that in my excitement. I wondered, have I grieved the Holy Spirit and perhaps even committed the unpardonable sin? 
I walked quickly, eagerly toward the village, and so perfectly quiet was my mind that it seemed as if all nature listened. I'd gone into the woods immediately after an early breakfast, and when I returned to the village, I found it was already lunchtime. Yet I had been wholly unaware of the time that had passed. It appeared to me that I had just gone a moment ago into the wood. But how was I to account for the quiet of my mind? I tried to recall my my conviction of sin, to get back again that load of sin under which I'd been laboring, but all sense of sin, all, all consciousness of present sin or guilt had departed from me. I said to myself, what is this? That I cannot arouse any sense of guilt in my soul as great a sinner as I am. I tried in vain to make myself anxious about my present state. I was so quiet and peaceful. I tried to feel concerned about it, lest it should result in my having grieved the spirit away. But but no matter what view I took, I could not be anxious at all about my soul and my spiritual state. The repose of my mind was unmistakably great. I was never so so peaceful. I can't describe it. The thought of God was so sweet to my mind. The most profound spiritual tranquility and joy had taken possession of me. This was a great mystery. I went to lunch, but I had no appetite to eat. I then went to the office, and I found that Square Wright had gone to lunch. So I took down my brass viola. And as I was accustomed to do, I began to play and sing some pieces of sacred music. But as soon as I began to sing those sacred words, I began to weep. It seemed as if my heart were so liquid, and my feelings were in such a state that I could not hear my own voice in singing without causing my tears to overflow. I wondered at this and tried to hold back my tears, but I couldn't. So finally, after trying in vain, I put away my instrument and I stopped singing. After lunch, Squire Wright and I were engaged in moving our books and furniture to another office. We were very busy, had little conversation. But my mind was so profoundly tranquil. There was such sweetness and tenderness in my thoughts and feelings. Nothing seemed to ruffle or disturb me in the least. Just before evening, I decided that as soon as I was left alone in the new office, I would I would try to pray again. That I was not going to abandon the subject of religion and give it up at any rate. Therefore, although I, I no longer had any concern about my soul, I decided I would still try to pray. So we got everything set, the office, the furniture, the books, everything was adjusted. I made a fire in the fireplace, a big fire, and hoping to spend the evening alone. And just as it was dark, Squire Wright, seeing that everything was adjusted, bade me good night and went home. I accompanied him to the door. As I closed the door and turned around, my heart seemed to be liquid. All my feelings seemed to rise and flow out in utterances of my heart. As I want to pour out my soul to God, the rising of my soul was so great that I rushed into the room behind the front office to pray. There was no fire and no light in that room. Nevertheless, it appeared perfectly lit to me. I went in and I shut the door. It seemed to me as if I met the Lord Jesus Christ face to face. It did not occur to me then that perhaps this was just in my mind. He seemed as real as any other man. He looked at me in such a manner as it just broke me down at his feet. He stood before me. I fell at his feet and I poured out my soul. I wept aloud like a child and made such confessions 
with choked utterances. It seemed to me that I bathed his feet with my tears. This continued for quite a while. My mind was too much absorbed with the interview to recall anything that I said, yet I know as soon as my mind became calm enough to break off from the interview, I returned to the front office and found that the fire I had made was nearly burned out. But as I turned and was about to take a seat by the fire, I received a mighty baptism of the Holy Spirit without any expectation of it, without ever having thought that there was any such thing for me, without any recollection that I'd ever heard the thing even mentioned by another person in the world, the Holy Spirit descended upon me in a manner that seemed to go through my body and my soul. I could feel the impression like a wave of electricity going through me. Indeed, it seemed to come in waves of liquid love. I cannot express it in any other way. It seemed like the very breath of God. I can recall distinctly that it seemed to fan me like immense wings. No words can express the wonderful love that was poured out. Romans 5, 5. I wept aloud with joy and love, and I literally bellowed out the unutterable gushings of my heart. These waves came over me and over me and over me until I cried out, I will die if these waves continue to pass over me. Lord, I cannot bear any more. Yet I had no fear of death. How long I continued in this state with this baptism, continuing to roll over me and go through me, I don't know. But I know it was late in the evening when a member of my choir, for I was the leader of the choir, came into the office to see me. Mr. Finney, what ails you? I couldn't answer him for some time. He said, are you in pain? I gathered myself up as best I could, and I replied, no, but so happy that I cannot live. He turned and left the office. In a few minutes, he returned with one of the elders of the church, whose shop was just across the way from our office. This elder was a very serious man, and I had scarcely ever seen him laugh. In my presence, he'd always been very watchful. When he came in, I was still in a state of loud weeping. Elder asked me how I felt. I began to tell him. And instead of saying anything, he fell into spags, spasmodic, joyous laughter. It seemed as if it were impossible for him to keep from laughing from the very bottom of his heart. There was a young man in our neighborhood who'd been a close friend of mine. Our ministers, I afterward learned, had repeatedly talked with him on the subject of religion and warned him against being misled by me. After I was converted, my friend told me that, that he'd been warned not to talk with me. Well, just at that time, I was giving an account of my feelings to the elder. This young man came into the office. He was sitting with with my back toward I was sitting with my back toward the door and barely noticed that he came in. He listened with astonishment to what I was saying. And then suddenly he fell upon the floor. And he cried out in greatest agony of mind, Pray for me. Pray for me. We all knelt and began to pray for him. I prayed for him. And then they all left, and I wondered, why did Elder laugh so at me? Did he think that I was deluded or crazy? This thought brought a kind of darkness over my mind. I began to ask myself whether it was proper for me, such a sinner as I had been, to pray for this young man. The cloud seemed to come over me, I felt I could not rest in anything, and after a little while I retired to bed, 
but my mind was not distressed, but still at a total loss to make any sense out of my present state. Notwithstanding the baptism I had received, my view was so obscured that I went to bed without feeling sure that my peace with God was was real. I soon fell asleep, but almost as soon as I was asleep, I awoke again on my on account of that great flow of love from God. It came time after time. I was so filled with love that I couldn't sleep. I'd fall asleep and then I'd awake. And when I awoke, this temptation toward unbelief returned upon me. And the love that seemed to be in my heart abated. But as soon as I was asleep, it was so warm within me that I would immediately awake. Thus I continued to, late into the night. When I awoke in the morning, the sun had risen. It was pouring a clear light into my room, and words cannot express the impression the sunlight made upon me. Instantly the baptism that I had received the night before returned upon me in the same manner. I rose to my knees in the bed and wept aloud with joy, remaining for some time too much overwhelmed with the baptism of the Spirit to do anything but pour out my soul to God. It seemed as if this morning's baptism was accompanied by a gentle rebuke. And the Spirit seemed to say to me, Will you doubt? Will you doubt? I cried, No, I will not doubt. I cannot doubt. Then he cleared the subject up for me. He made it plain that I was not to doubt the Spirit of God for he had taken possession of my soul. In this state, I was taught that righteousness by faith is a present experience. I'd never directly viewed this as a fundamental doctrine of the gospel. Indeed, I didn't know at all what it all meant in the proper sense, but I could now see and understand what was meant by the passage Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 5.1 I could see that from the moment I believed while up in the woods, all sense of condemnation had entirely dropped out of my mind, and I could not feel a sense of guilt or condemnation by any effort that I could make. My sins were gone and my sense of guilt was gone, as if I had never sinned. This was just the revelation that I needed. As far as I could see, I was in a state in which I did not sin. Instead of feeling that I was sinning all the time, my heart was so full of love that it overflowed. My cup ran over with blessings and with love, and I could not feel that I was sinning against God nor could I recover the least sense of guilt for my past sins. All week I've been talking to you about this, but this is the experience that results from understanding the teaching I've given you this week. Charles Finney was born again, born from above. His sins were wiped away. All of the past was gone. But more than that, he was now not just forgiven for his sins. His carnal nature was cleansed and removed from him by the coming of the Holy Spirit in power. It is in the baptism of the Holy Spirit that the heart of a man is cleansed. He's absolutely correct biblically in his teaching that as far as he was concerned, he was in a state in which he no longer committed sin. See, this has been lost in the modern church. We want to overanalyze everything. 
We want to be in our heads while we allow our feelings and our life experience to be controlled by demon powers from hell. We want to go to church and be religious, and then we want to strive against the devil the rest of the week. We want to white-knuckle it and say, I'm trying to get a hold of my temper. I'm trying as hard as I can. Or I'm trying to stop drinking. Oh, I shed crocodile tears because I just can't stop drinking. The reason you can't stop drinking is you love your alcohol. And you utterly refuse to give it into the hands of Jesus and take him at his word that he will remove that from you and cleanse that carnal nature in your heart. Now this understanding, if grasped by the church, will once more bring us to life. And the world will find its cross because the church has found its Pentecost. Now the next morning when he went to the office, he kept experiencing the renewal of these mighty waves of love and salvation. They were flowing over him. And when Squire Wright came into the office, I said a few words to him on the subject of his salvation. He looked at me with astonishment, but made no reply. He dropped his head, and after standing a few minutes, left the office. I thought no more of it, but afterward I found that the remark I had made had pierced him like a sword. And he did not recover from it until he was converted. A deacon came into the office and he said to me, Mr. Finney, do you recall that my case is to be tried at 10 o'clock this morning? I suppose you're ready. I'd been retained to act as his attorney. I replied to him, Deacon, I have a retainer from the Lord Jesus to plead his cause and I cannot plead yours. He looked at me with astonishment. He said, what do you mean? I told him and in a few words that I enlisted in the cause of Christ, that he must go and get somebody else to attend his lawsuit. I could not do it. He dropped his head. He went out without making any reply. A few moments later, in passing the window, I observed that deacon was standing in the road, seemingly lost in meditation. He went away, as I afterward learned, and immediately settled his suit. Then he committed himself to prayer. And soon his heart was turned to Jesus. As soon as I set out from the office to converse with all the people I could find about their souls, I had the impression, which had never left my mind, that God wanted me to preach the gospel and that I must begin immediately, and somehow seemed to know it with certainty. I knew that I had received the love of God in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When I was first convicted, the thought had occurred to me that if I was ever converted, I would have to leave my profession of law, and I would have to begin to preach the gospel. This at first was an obstacle to me. I thought I'd spent too much time in study in my profession to think now of becoming a Christian, if by doing so, I would be obligated to preach the gospel. However, at last I came to the conclusion that I must submit to God, that I had never commenced the study of law out of any regard to God, that I had no right to place any condition on Him, I had laid aside the thought of becoming a minister until the thought came to me as I have related on my way up to the place of prayer in the woods. But now, after having received the baptism of the Spirit, I was quite willing to preach the gospel. Indeed, I found that I was unwilling to do anything else. 
I no longer had any desire to practice law. Everything in that direction no longer had any attraction for me. I had no desire to make money. I had no hungering and thirsting after worldly pleasures and amusement. My whole mind was taken up with Jesus and his salvation. Worldly concerns were of no, of no interest. So I went out and I began to talk with, with everyone in the village. Now we're almost out of time. But at the end of that day, everyone seemed to head for the church. And Finney went also. And everyone sat there and no one seemed to know what to do, even the pastor. So Finney stood up and spoke a few words and said, let's pray. And revival came. Men and women's hearts were pierced. There was weeping. Men confessed their sins and got right with God. (laughs) Have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? This Sunday at the National Prayer Chapel, I'm going to be very specific in talking about how to be baptized in the Spirit, and then I'm going to invite everyone who would like to be baptized in the Spirit to come forward, and we're going to have a time of prayer. If you'd like to be present, and you're serious about following Jesus, and you want the fullness of what Jesus would give you, You need to be present this Sunday. Cancel whatever you have engagement. Whatever engagements, cancel them. They're they're of no meaning and no depth and of no importance compared with getting right with Jesus and finding the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in your life. Now I'm being told I have two minutes left in this broadcast. So I'm going to stop now, but I am going to say how humbled I am and how grateful I am to each of you who has been faithful in sending tithes and offerings to this ministry. I know that the gospel of Jesus knows to go forward not by selling and doing fundraisers. I know it has to happen as a a move of the Holy Spirit on the heart of the listeners where they freely give tithes and offerings if the Holy Spirit is calling you to give please write to me at the National Prayer Chapel Post Office Box 2346 Woodbridge, Virginia 22195 you're also welcome to go to our webpage nationalprayerchapel.com You'll see there that we're now on Twitter. It's a powerful witness. There are messages and songs, and you'll find much of interest. Please follow us on Twitter. I'm Ray Greenley. I pastor the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Come this Sunday. We meet at the All Saints Anglican Church. The service will begin with prayer at 12 noon. The address is 148 51 Gideon Drive Woodbridge Virginia 22192 I love you my brother my sister God bless you I'll talk to you soon <laughs>